Sometimes it's hard to make transitions when you're just in the presence of God. But uh, I figured out a long time ago that worship is not just music, right? Worship is an attitude. It's a posture. And I think we're going to maintain an attitude and a posture of worship as we move on through the morning. Um, you guys, most of you know that we are in a, a season of time here where Pastor Sean and Becca are away on sabbatical, and um, uh, they're, they've, they're having a good time, and uh, they're going to have some, some fun uh, adventures. I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to... He'll, he'll fill you in when he gets back, but... Um, uh, we have, in the meantime, uh, Pastor Sean has lined up some people to speak, and uh, today is uh, a special day because you have heard us say, and I know that I've said it many times, that there are some aspects of the nature of God that you only encounter through others. And a lot of times we talk about that in the context of groups, right? You need to get into a group and get connected because there are things about God that he will reveal to you through other people. But you know that same principle applies church-wide. And there are some aspects of the nature of God and the heart of God and really what God is saying that you can only hear through other people that come in to the church to speak to us. And today... Uh, is like I said, is a special day. We have Pastor Mike playing with us, and many of you have heard him speak before. But just in case you haven't, to put it in a very quick nutshell, uh, Pastor Mike Plain has been a part of our uh, spiritual heritage and journey for really decades now, going back many, many years. Uh, Pastor Sean and I were both on staff at another church years ago, and Pastor Mike served as uh, like a lead pastor, kind of an executive overseeing pastor of pastors role. And that relationship has, has not only maintained itself, but really strengthened itself over the years. And he's been able to come in and speak into the life of this church so many times. Uh, in fact, last night when we had our Saturday night service, uh, Mike O'Toole, one of our worship leaders, came up to him and said, man, my wife and I were just talking about, do you smell the water? And some of you guys will remember some of that. But so without any further introduction, let me welcome Pastor Mike. And you guys welcome him as he comes up. Stay up here for a minute. You know, I, I said this last night. I'm going to say it again. It, it, it's something, I think, far more significant than what we realize when when you talk about friends that you've had for decades, it, it's, you know, there's something significant to that. Is I read a book years ago that said, everybody seems normal till you get to know them. <laughs> and, but, you know, I consider it a, a privilege that I've known Pastor Sean and Pastor Aaron for, and their spouses for decades. And we still like each other. I think. Well, anyways, I like him. I don't know what he was. But I, we go back to when there was no gray in our beards. <laughs> and there was hair on one of And there was, yeah, yeah. and there was, yeah. Right. But anyway, I love you, man. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be here. Always good to be here. You know, um, I consider it a great, great honor and um when a pastor asks me to come and speak and they're not here, 
I mean, that's, that's a great honor because it speaks of, of the trust and the confidence that they have to let somebody come in and have this kind of influence. I jokingly said last night, you know, Pastor Aaron and I have rewritten some of the bylaws already, but anyway, I'm just kidding. But it is, and, and, and I love the, the team here. I love this church. I love coming here, and you're always so gracious, and uh, thank you for that. But uh, you didn't come here to hear all that. You come to hear the word, right? So let's go into Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to kind of springboard from today. But before we do that, I, I just I felt like I, I wanted to preface this this morning with this, to understand that we are in the day of holy disruptions. It's the day we're living in. And we, as, especially we as American people, we like our pragmatism, we like our structures and our orders and, and all that. And I'm just here to tell you that God's going to mess with that. And especially in the next eight to ten years, God's going to be de- having holy disruptions in our lives. And so the reason I tell you that is just to be ready for it so that when it comes, you say, oh, yeah, okay, let's do this. It was interesting, about a year and a half, not quite a year and a half ago, there was a study that came out that basically the study was saying that Gen Z, as far as their spiritual hunger and their spiritual interest and all the things, that, that, that they wrote them off. They're no longer interested in spiritual things. They're no longer interested in having a life with God, blah, 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 blah. And then Asbury hit. And what I've concluded from that is God's like, yeah, I don't care about your study. God doesn't live by studies. He lives by holy intents and prophetic purposes and divine designs. And that's what God is doing in the earth right now. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning because we need to understand the divine design that God has for our lives today so that we can connect our lives to it. You know, one of the things that God loves, I'll tell you what God loves. God loves when his people who are called by his name work with him. Not just work for him. God says, I don't want you to just work for me. I want you to work with me. I want you to partner with me, come in union with me as I move upon the face of the earth, as I, as I play out my divine design that I have intended for all of these ages. And you and I get to be a part of that. Amen. What a privilege that is. And how exciting that is. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, Pastor Sean and Becca, I thought, man, what, what great leaders. Because they have this, this sense, they have this desire to be adventurous. That's what it's going to take. And these days that we're living is, is leaders that have a desire who give them lives to adventure. Because that's what this is going to be. It's going to be an adventure. The next eight to ten years in our culture, now this is just me. Take it for whatever, whatever. This is Mike Plain-ism, okay? Whatever that, whatever value that has. But the next eight to ten years in the culture is going to get very difficult. It's going to get very challenging. Okay, But for us, the body of Christ, who are prepared, who are aware, who are awakened and who are focused and who are intentional, 
this next eight to 10 years are going to be some of the greatest times of our lives. It's going to be some of the greatest opportunities. Why? Because God is going to, with us, have holy encounters and holy disruptions along the way that we're going to get to be a part of. And we're going to see a great harvest, I believe, in the next eight to 10 years. You down with that? Do you find Genesis chapter 1? We're living in right now what's been coined as the, a post-Christian culture. We are now, and anybody heard that term before, post-Christian culture? What does that mean? It means a culture no longer carries a foundational and influential element of biblical truths and God-centered values within it as it did not too many years ago. Some of us in this room are seasoned enough to remember back when, you know, everything was like church-centered. You know, one of the reasons that when you drive through different communities and everything, you see these big churches and they are the ones you see from a distance, you'll see a steeple, a pinnacle. Why? Because it was the centrality of the community. It was a part of the people's lives. And, and now what we're seeing is that no longer does the church have the influence that it once had. And, and I think there's for several reasons that that, have, that has happened. And that's what I want to talk to you today because I think God is wanting us to recapture a level of influence in the culture. And so the title of my message today is The Divine Mandate, Building Kingdom Cultures. That's what I want to talk to you about. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God blessed them. <laughs> and God blessed them. And God's still blessing them. See, when God, when God initiates something, it never stops. Do you know that? That's why it says his word never returns void unto him. Empty. Why? When God speaks, what? It keeps creating. It keeps going forth. It keeps moving. It keeps uh, uh, initiating. It keeps transforming. And God blessed them. All of creation was blessed. And there is still a blessing in creation. You and I. All right? And just to understand that there is a blessing of God upon our life, that should do something right there. See, a lot of times what we do is we forget these things. It's, it's not that we don't, but we just, and I think it's good for us to periodically just go and remind ourselves of things that God has said to us and over us and released in us. All right? And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Bruce and Marie and I, we've been longtime friends. Uh, we were talking this morning. They were telling me about how many grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I said, man, you guys are living out what I'm preaching this morning. Be fruitful and multiply. And the Jones have filled the earth and subdued it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, many times we go, go back and start reading creation and everything and how did God do that? That's not really the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is, why did God do it? 
Why did God say these things? And the reality of it is, is that, that even as God said this in, in thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, it's still appropriate for today. And this mandate is still on us today. All right? We, we are still supposed to be fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. I, I like this. Nancy Piercy in her book, Total Truth, says this. I'm going to read a little, some excerpts from her, so um, just bear with me. In Genesis, God gives, uh, gives what we might call the first job description. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So the first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world. Build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, so on and so forth. The second phrase, subdue earth, means to harness the natural world. Plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music, This passage tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures, to build civilizations. That mandate has never left us. We have on us a divine mandate to build cultures, to develop civilizations. She goes on to say, in the beginning, God's creation was formless, empty, and dark before he said, let there be light. In other words, God chose to create the universe by bringing order out of chaos. In essence, all human creative activity mirrors this process. Designing a new building, arranging a room for beauty and comfort, developing medicine, writing a computer program, painting a picture, all of it involves bringing structure and order to chaotic elements for the human benefit and enjoyment. Again, we were created with this divine inherent mandate to build cultures. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, too many times and too many other, I've probably done this, but we teach on the, the, the abundances. Sometimes we lean toward, heavy towards the things. God has given us life abundantly, things, things. I want you to get away from that about things. Because he said, I've come to give them life and life abundantly. He's done, the abundance is about a, 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 a type of life that we're going to live. A quality of life that we're going to live. And a quality of life that we're going to give. What quality of life? What do you have in your life to give? That's really what Jesus is talking about. I've come to give them life and fill them with this life. This life of God, so that what? They can give that life of God. We have one of the great treasures. We are a treasure, a vessel that holds a treasure that is priceless. What is it? It's called the life of God. Yes, is it for us? Yes, but it's just not for us. It's for us to what? Live out. Or if I could say it this way, to give out, giving out the life of God. Everywhere that we go. See, I've come to this conclusion. We're either going to be culture creators or culture succumbers. And the reason that we have that this era is now called the post-Christian culture is, what, is become 
because too much of the body of Christ have succumbed to the culture rather than to create cultures. The culture that we live in, in some ways, has done a better job of discipling the body of Christ than what we've allowed the Holy Spirit to disciple us. Now, I'm not a complete anti-social media guy. I think there are benefits to it, but it cannot become the influence, the main influence of your life. You cannot let social media, why? Because it, and the thing about it is, it has. It's had too much influence upon the body of Christ. And it's affected sometimes uh, more than I think we understand it has. And so I, 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 in, in contemplating all this, I come to the realization is that we must have a thinking plan. Okay? A thinking plan. What do you mean? We need to have a plan of this is how I'm going to think. I'm not talking about mind over matter. I'm talking about a plan, a purpose plan, an intentional plan, is this is the way I'm going to think. Why? Because if you don't, you'll let the world start telling, influencing you on in how to think. Your worldview, your attitude towards things, the way you see things, the way you see people. If you're not careful, you need to have a thinking mind. Every one of us, every day, are inundated by temptations and influences. Right? Whether we, whether we drive down to, is it 291? Yeah. Whether we drive down 290, I was just driving down, I see, oh, this is for sale, and here we have, and I was coming in, get your nails done for this price, and get a massage for, you know, 29.99. Dear Lord, gas is at $3.30. So what, those are all influences of information that are coming in that affect the way we can begin to think. Okay? So we need to have a thinking plan. And the Bible gives us a thinking plan. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That's my thinking plan. So when I'm on an airplane, or supposed to be on an airplane and I'm not because there's delays, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I see people start getting upset, and angry, and yelling at, you know, the, the flight people, the, the airlines people and everything. All of a sudden, if I'm not careful, I can start getting that attitude. But I'm disciplining myself to say, no, this is my thinking plan. What's in my thinking plan? What, what are, well, how am I going to think about this? Uh, what's honorable? What's just? What's loving? What's, what's commendable? Is it, is it, what, what's of excellence? And so it's, so e it's easy everywhere you go. Wherever I walked into the hotel yesterday, and, and it's like the Spirit of God reminded me. He says, remember, uh, you're a culture creator, and remember how to think. And I know he's just doing that because he's teaching me along these lines of, of, of understanding and being aware of and being intentional about everywhere that I go, I'm going to create a culture. I'm not going to succumb to a culture. 
I'm going to create a culture. Okay? So, it's not all that difficult. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, Jesus said this. He asked a question. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in, in his garden. It grew and became great, and the birds perched in its branches. And he asked again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. What was Jesus teaching? He said the kingdom of God doesn't always come in an explosive manner. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's like Asbury. God just shows up and blows up things. But most of the time what God's doing is through you and I and what we would think sometimes is the most insignificant ways is infusing the kingdom presence into those ways. Our everyday life. So I got this video I want to show you about this guy who just simply went to get a haircut. All right, let's see that video. So you moved to a new city, <laughs> what do you need? You need to find a new barber, really important. Had a couple of full starts, and then I went into this uh, barber shop, and I walked in, I saw this guy, had all the tattoos in the right places, cool haircut, cool look, good aesthetic, and I thought, that's the guy, that guy knows how to cut hair. I, I walked up to him, I didn't actually even ask him to do anything, I just sat down completely confident in his judgment of what this guy knows what he's doing, and he just went to work, and we had a great conversation about all sorts of things, and then just as we were coming into land, I'm... I mentioned, I can't remember how it came up, but just mentioned that I go to church and I'm involved in church. And he kind of took a step back and he said, he said, I wasn't going to say anything, but do you know, I, I woke up this morning and I was really struggling with anxiety. I, I've been really anxious about something um, for a few weeks. It's been growing. And then today it grew to the stage. He said it was almost like this anxiety was growing in my chest and it came right up to the surface. And just before you walked in, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this day of work. He said, you came in and for some reason you, you sat in that chair and the moment you sat in that chair, he said, the anxiety just went. And he said, I, I, I just feel a, a real peace now. And then we had this great um, conversation. He's come to church and we've become friends. And I think it's just interesting that we sometimes don't realize what we carry. I don't feel, I mean, just so you know, I don't, um, I, I, I don't sit in a barber chair in any different way from how you sit in a barber chair. I'm not there like, Lord, I'm not there like this, like, you know, Lord, I just sit in a barber chair like this. I, that day I had lots on my mind. I wasn't feeling particularly peaceful or zen-like or holy. I just turned up. But you know, if you've encountered Jesus, he's come to dwell in you by his Holy Spirit, then the Spirit of God lives within you. So wherever you go, Spirit of God goes. That has the potential to shift things. Wherever we stand, wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we sit, even when someone's cutting your hair. And I have to remind myself sometimes, I, I carry the presence of God. God's with me. And so that makes a difference to every day. Wow. I carry the presence of God everywhere I go, and it shifts things. That's what I'm talking about. To be aware <clears throat> that God will use us to shift things, shift things in people's lives. When I first saw that 
that clip, I thought, I, I liked it just because of the British accent. <laughs> you know, when he said he walked in, he found this barber that had all the tattoos and everything for years. I was like, I want to have a barber that has all these tattoos. That has, I want a barber that has tattoos. Well, so then my wife got a tattoo, so I let her start cutting my hair. Because <laughs> that way I have a barber with tattoos, you know. And plus, I don't have to pay. Well, no, I, I take that back. It is pretty expensive haircuts, I guess. But I think, I think with, what this gentleman had to say is so profound is that we don't realize, just walk in to a barbershop, sat in a chair, and the guy said, I was filled with anxiety. Up to here, and I didn't think I was going to be able to, to finish the day because I had so much anxiety. But when you sat down in that chair, it just all went away. What is that? created a culture remember back we talked about a little earlier back in Genesis it was what the universe was empty and desolate confusing and chaotic without function and focus and my friends I'm telling you in 2023 much of the world that we're in much of the culture we're exposed to is empty and desolate it's confusing and chaotic. You look around, read the news, look at the news, watch the world around. It's confusing and chaotic. And much of the world is without function. Many people are without function and focus today. And what did God say? I want you to go and create. I want you, I want to use you to be the creative agency to bring life, to bring purpose, to bring focus, to bring intention back to people. See, I, I love this word that some of the, the early church fathers used. They talked about their great mission was to go and Christify the world. I like that. Go and Christify their world. And I was thinking about today because so much of the church today is, is, is focused on how do we modernize the church. And there's a part of that is it's okay and everything, but we can't lose focus of the mission that we're here to Christify the world. That's why we're here. And wherever our world is, and whatever exposure that we have, we're here to Christify the world. See, we as followers of Jesus need to move beyond criticizing the culture and start creating cultures. We spend too much time. I do. I'm subjective. I can find myself many times criticizing the culture. God didn't give me a mandate to go around and criticize the culture. God gave me a mandate to create cultures. Because there will be, if we don't, there will be no end to the criticism that we have. See, I'm not buying into the culture. What I'm doing is I'm investing into the culture. And here's what I'm investing. Faith, hope, and love. That's what I'm investing in the culture. Faith, 
hope, and love. Listen to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul's writing Thessalonians, he's commending them. Um, they've had some challenges, but nevertheless, he's, he's really commending them for some things. He says this, we remember, we remember before God and our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me reread that again. Let me add some things. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. That's what we do. Your labor prompted by love. That's how we do it. And your endurance inspired by hope. That's why we do it. We have to remember these things. So, let me say this to you. Let the word of God become your walk of God. Let the word of God become your walk of God. My great concern is, again, if, if we put any relative credence to studies and surveys, I know they say the average Christian right now reads their Bible one time a month. One time a month. That's scary. Of course, the average Christian goes to church one time a month. This, is, this was a survey of church-going Christians, not just you know, church-going Christians. Read their Bible once a month, go to church. So I figured they read their Bible on the day they go to church. That's, that's going to greatly affect how you live. Because if the word of God becomes your walk of God and you have no word in your life, then what's your walk going to be? How are you going to live? What is influencing you? Let me ask you that. What is influencing you? What is influencing you? See, you need, you need to get your nose in this book. I'll tell you a story, a quick story, and then I'm going to be done. I think I'm going to be done. I might be done. Back in 1996, I was pastoring. I had already been pastoring for six years. And I was reading this book by Lee Strobel. And in this book, he proposed this question. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? And I really started reevaluating what I called my theology, why I believe. You know what I found out? It's a lot of what I was believing is because somebody told me to believe that. And in this reevaluation, what I found out is what they were telling me to believe didn't line up with this. And for years, not ill-intended, not, not, not being, you know, the intention of being, you know, divisive or, or deceptive or any of those things. But, but I, I was preaching things that had no biblical basis. I was preaching because some, somebody told me to believe that. There are forces out there every day in our life that are trying to tell us what to believe. Let the word of God become your walk of God. 
That's the reason so many Christians are mean. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. Be nice. Be nice. The world will be attracted to you because you're nice. How come you're so nice? The world's mean. But you're nice. Why? It's because you've let this become your walk. I, th- I thank God you have great pastors in this church. But you know what? They can be an influence, but they can't be the whole influence. This has to be your influence. This has to be your influence. I like it in, in Ezekiel chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 10. It says, eat the scroll. Eat the scroll. Eat the scroll. Meaning what? We become what we eat. Doggone it. My wife and I went on, the, we do this every year, we went on this Lenten fast. And about the second weekend, I'm just like walking around the kitchen murmuring, you know, I can't eat this and I can't eat this. Basically, we were down to eating the grass and the leaves in our backyard. <laughs> <clears throat> Can't eat this, can't eat that. Uh, my wife goes, oh, I, I, I see uh, you're really focused on what you're focused on in this fast is what you can't have rather than hearing from God. I was like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. She was right. See, what is it? The reason I'm telling this is that we become what we eat. Just even on the physical side, my cholesterol came down. I lost weight. I was healthier. Why? Because I was eating healthier. So I'm using that to say, if we want to feed upon the anxiety and the fear and the anger in our culture, that's, that's what we'll get. Because why? We're eating the scroll. But if you eat this scroll, (laughs) oh my, the life that you'll live, the joy that you'll experience, the encounters that you will have with a living Savior is immeasurable. And so, why don't you stand with me this morning? If you stand, I'll quit. Maybe. See, a part of this mandate is that we're to create cultures of accessibility. It's what we're doing. We're creating cultures of accessibility for other people to encounter Jesus Christ. I've said this, I've been saying this for the last year or so, two years, to leaders, I said, quit telling people, the people in your, in your church, quit telling people just to bring people and come hear me. And that's kind of, they don't do it maybe verbatim, but that's basically just bring people here and let them come hear me. No, I said, teach your people how to become culture creators and how 
God wants to use them to open accessibility to Christ everywhere that they live their life. And then bring people on the weekend, bring those people that you have given accessibility to Jesus in on the weekend for what? One is celebration, worship. Another is discipleship. We're hearing the word. But the third thing is what you're exposing them to a different culture that they've been inundated with day in and day out for their life. You're bringing them into a different culture. And then what happens? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we're doing. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning. That for every one of us, we're reminded. This morning, we're encouraged and maybe provoked a little bit in our hearts to reevaluate our lives and say, how much... Am I creating culture or how much am I succumbing to the culture? And I pray, Lord, that you would use us. And Holy Spirit, help us to be aware of everywhere that we go. We're like this man who went to the barber. That everywhere, everywhere we go, we carry a kingdom presence and power to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.